also be able to identify the signs and symptoms of a stroke because whenever someone is having a stroke, you have around 2 million neurons per second dying in your brain when you're having a stroke. That's a lot. This is True to Your Heart, lessons on living a healthy, hearty life, brought to you by Amarin. Welcome back to the second season of True to Your Heart, the show where we discuss new ways of looking at your cardiovascular health with leading health and wellness experts. I'm your host, Ron Jaworski, and it is Stroke Awareness Month, so we're taking a deep dive into stroke awareness and reducing your risk for stroke the first time and beyond. My first guest on today's show is Dr. Mark Alberts, Chief of Neurology at Hartford Hospital and Physician-in-Chief at the AIR Neuroscience Institute. He joins us to highlight the causes and risk factors of a stroke, as well as recovery and prevention of a secondary event. Welcome, Dr. Alberts. It's great to have you on True to Your Heart. It's it's just always enlightening when we get people of your talent to give our listening audience the information that they need. So thank you so much for joining us uh, here on True to Your Heart. And your resume is so, so impressive. And, and maybe just to, to be brief, what can you tell us a little bit about what you do day to day right now? Right. Well, thanks for the kind invitation. It's an honor to be here with you and your audience one of my major career goals is to do a better job preventing and treating stroke. Stroke is a very common disease. It's a very serious disease, one of the leading causes of death and disability, not just in the United States and around the world. Our brain is obviously a very important organ. It's one of the few organs in the body that we can't replace. People can have heart transplants, lung transplants, lens transplants, liver, kidney transplants, but we can't transplant the brain. We may know people who need a brain transplant, but we currently don't have the expertise <laughs> to do that. From my point of view as a physician and humanitarian, it's very important that we do all that we can to protect people's brains. And this really focuses around preventing strokes. And if we can't do that, mitigating the damage and maximizing recovery if somebody does have a stroke. You know, Dr. Albert says, as you know, it is Stroke Awareness Month. And I understand there are a lot of people that don't know the symptoms of the stroke, and that's important in how you treat it and the speed of treating it. Can you walk us through what happens internally when someone experiences a stroke? Right. So there are two main kinds of stroke. The most common is what we call an ischemic stroke. That's when a blood vessel in or around the brain gets plugged up, can't deliver blood and oxygen to the brain, and then that part of the brain in that territory gets damaged, sort of like an irrigation field in a, in a field of wheat or corn. If the pipeline gets plugged up, then the crops in that field, they can't get enough water, nutrition to grow, and they die. That's sort of what an ischemic stroke is like, and that accounts for about 80 to 85% of all strokes. The other type of stroke is called a hemorrhagic stroke. That's when a blood vessel in or around the brain ruptures and that puts extra blood in or around the brain, and it squishes the normal parts of the brain. So that can be among the most devastating kinds of stroke, even though it only accounts for about 20%, uh, 
it accounts for the major types of strokes that actually kill people. So again, two major types, ischemic, ischemic, more common, but less severe, and hemorrhagic, less common, but more severe. Mm-hmm. Well, what would you say are some of the leading contributors to a stroke? Yeah, so that's a great question. One of the major risk factors for stroke that we can do something about is high blood pressure or hypertension. That's a risk factor for all types of stroke, ischemic or hemorrhagic. And the main thing to do is be aware that your blood pressure is elevated. Go to your primary care provider or your healthcare provider, get your blood pressure checked. And if it is elevated, we have numerous approaches to get it under control. Some of it is a matter of diet, reducing salt in your diet. Some of it is a matter of not smoking. Some of it is a matter of good exercise. And in some cases, we need specific medications to bring your blood pressure under control. But if we could get everybody's blood pressure under better control, we could prevent a significant percentage of strokes. But there are other risk factors, Ron, besides high blood pressure. There's diabetes. There's high cholesterol. There's smoking. There's underlying heart disease, because a lot of strokes are caused by underlying heart disease like atrial fibrillation, which is an irregular heartbeat. And you and your audience have probably seen commercials on TV about AFib, screening for AFib, and then taking blood thinners if you have that. All of those contribute to stroke risk. And if they are properly identified and, and treated or mitigated, they can reduce the risk of somebody having a stroke. I can tell you this, Doc, by doing this show for the past year, I've learned from just incredible people like you and that blood pressure was so important. I went out and bought a blood pressure monitor, take the blood pressure every day. I know I'm in good shape when I look at that blood pressure down. So all you great doctors that we've had on the show have given us all tremendous advice. That's been very helpful. So, so far, so good. What are some basic things that that people should stay away from, of course, to try to prevent a stroke? Right. So you don't want to smoke, as we've talked about. You absolutely don't want to use illicit drugs like cocaine, things like that, uh, heroin. Those can absolutely increase the risk of stroke. You don't want to drink alcohol to excess. A couple glasses of red wine a day seem to be beneficial, but if you're drinking a lot of hard (laughs) liquor, if you're getting drunk several times a week. Not good. (laughs) You know, those are are bad things to do. What are the chances if you've had a stroke, what are the chances of a secondary event? Yes, that's a very important important question, and thank you for bringing that up. Your risk of having another stroke, if you've already had one, can be as high as 10% per year. Now, obviously, that varies from person to person. It varies by age because the risk of having a stroke goes up significantly as you get older. But since we haven't found a fountain of youth yet. You can't do much about that. So we like to focus on things that we can prevent or intervene, such as the blood pressure, the diabetes, smoking, weight loss, things like that. But, but age is a very significant risk factor uh, for stroke, especially now with an aging of the population, as more and more people move from their 50s and 60s to their 70s and 80s, their risk of having a stroke is going to go up just due to the fact that they're getting older. Will people recognize it sooner the second time? They should, and usually they're scared of it because usually the first time was not a great experience. But part of the problem with stroke, as you and I are well aware of, is that people oftentimes, because of the stroke, they can't communicate. They can't talk or get help. 
or they may not be able to perceive that they're having trouble with their speech or their vision or their walking or talking. So difficulty with recognition does remain a very significant challenge with stroke. And people oftentimes don't understand that most cases, strokes don't hurt. With a heart attack, most heart attacks have some component of chest pain, trouble breathing, chest discomfort, heaviness, but most strokes are not accompanied by a headache or pain anywhere in the body. So that makes it a little bit more of a challenge for the population, for the public to even recognize that they may be having a stroke or their loved one may be having a stroke. You know, I know you were recently in the news uh, speaking about Bruce Willis. What can you tell us about asphasia or aphasia, as you would probably pronounce it, like I mis- mispronounced it? <laughs> right. So his symptom was aphasia, which is trouble either speaking or recognizing what somebody is saying to you. What I understand about his case, and obviously I don't have detailed medical knowledge, is that in his case, that's been a progressive problem. They think he has a progressive aphasia due to an underlying process. Could be something like Alzheimer's or something related to Alzheimer's where there's degeneration of the brain. Now, aphasia can also be seen as part of a stroke, but in the stroke setting, it comes on very suddenly, typically without warning, and the symptoms can come on over seconds or minutes, maybe even over a few hours, but not over days or weeks or years like Bruce Willis has had. But yes, it is true that difficulty with speaking or understanding spoken words or even reading can be a symptom of a stroke. Can you recover from aphasia? Absolutely. You can recover from any of the symptoms of a stroke, be it uh, weakness, numbness, trouble walking or trouble talking. But the old saying in the, in the stroke world is time is brain. Well, in the neurology setting, in the setting of stroke, time is brain. Because every minute somebody is having a stroke, their brain is losing about 1.9 million nerve cells. 1.9 million nerve cells. So if your friends and family are like my friends and family, we don't know about too many people who can afford to lose almost 2 million nerve cells a minute. So time is really brain. The sooner we can recognize that somebody is having a stroke and we can intervene, their chance of having a good recovery goes up Mm -hmm. dramatically. You know, Doc, we already mentioned, you know, smoking is bad for your heart health. You mentioned it a number of times in the show, but what are some of the immediate benefits to stop smoking in terms of stroke prevention? Right. So we know that within days of people stopping smoking, their blood pressure can start heading back to normal. The blood vessels in the brain can relax, which is a good thing as opposed to being constricted when you're smoking. The oxygen flow from your lungs to your bloodstream and to your heart and brain increase within days of stopping smoking. So in terms of delivery of blood to your brain, reduction of high blood pressure, improvement of oxygenation and relaxation of your blood vessels, all of those things are benefits, benefits of stopping smoking. You know, there have been incredible advancements in in the medical science right now. You started talking about that earlier in the show. When you think about that, is there anything on the horizon that can prevent strokes? Are, Are we that far along with medicine yet, or does it happen? And then it's more of a, how do we prevent it getting worse? Yeah, we actually have pretty good medicines to prevent 
or to treat the risk factors of stroke, like high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol. So if we recognize these risk factors and we get patients on the proper treatment and they stay on the treatment, just doing that can significantly reduce the risk of having a stroke. But if they're in the setting of a bad ischemic stroke, we have clot-busting medications that we can give them that can oftentimes break up that blood clot that's causing the stroke. And nowadays, especially over the past four or five years, we have new interventions. We call them catheters, which are little hollow tube devices that we can put in the blood vessel, like in the groin or in the arm, and then we get those up into somebody's brain within the blood vessel, and we can identify the clot that's there, sort of snag it, and then actually suck it out of the brain and reverse the effects of an ischemic stroke. That is amazing. <laughs> amazing. Is there anything people might not know about when you do experience a stroke? Well, typically the symptoms are the acute onset of weakness or numbness of an arm or leg, trouble walking or talking, suddenly going blind in one eye, things like that. There are more subtle symptoms of a stroke that are, are less specific, like acute onset of dizziness and vertigo. But to be honest with you, a lot of other conditions can cause the acute onset of dizziness and, and vertigo. So we, we need to be very cautious about how we educate people on that because, you know, if you stand up quickly or turn your head quickly, you can get dizziness and vertigo and we don't want everybody coming to the hospital for that because those symptoms usually are going to go away in a few minutes and they don't need a trip to the emergency room for that. If people do suffer any of these symptoms, what should they do? Well, again, the first thing is to lie down, make sure you're out of danger, call your primary care provider or call 911 if this looks like something really bad. Like again, uh, the acute onset of inability to talk or going blind in one eye or being paralyzed on one side. That's likely a very important event. Lie down, call 911, call your PCP, get to the hospital as soon as possible. If it's minor symptoms, you know, a little bit of numbness or tingling, oftentimes that may not be a stroke. I would give it a few minutes, five or 10 minutes, and see if symptoms get a lot better or a lot worse. Again, you could call your PCP. And again, it's important to look at these symptoms in the broad context of your overall medical condition. Have you had five strokes before? And do you have a lot of stroke risk factors? Then those symptoms are of greater concern. Are you 25 and otherwise healthy and everything else is going okay? Then that may be of lesser concern. So you can't look at these symptoms out of context. You have to look at a person's overall medical health and all of their conditions. But if, if you sense these symptoms, it's best to get professional help. Get professional help. Call 911, see what's going on, especially if these symptoms are severe and they persist. Since, you know, we talk about heart health in You've mentioned a couple of times it is so important uh, in stroke prevention. Is that important? Like you mentioned, the diet, the non-smoking, all those things, you add them all up. That's why you must maintain a healthy heart to stop strokes. A healthy heart diet, getting your risk factors for a heart attack, and getting all of those things identified and treated. If it helps your heart, it's going to help your brain. Okay, they're intimately connected, and there's a reason for that. Dr. Alberts, thank you so much for joining us here on this podcast. Your information was very, very enlightening, and I'm sure you're going to save a lot of lives just by doing this podcast. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. Joining me now is Jerry Ward, stroke survivor and founder and executive director of Stroke of Luck, a platform she created to help bring awareness, support, and prevention to those who are affected by a stroke. Jerry is here today to share her story, discuss the work she's doing, and how you can help better prevent the event of a stroke. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Jerry, it's great to have you on the show. I've read your story, and it truly is amazing. And right now, you are the executive director of Stroke of Luck. How did you initially get the idea to start this fabulous project? Well, I realized that after I had my stroke, that I didn't have near enough resources that my husband and I needed to not only survive a stroke, but to also thrive post-stroke. And so for me, it was just a passion project that really blew up a lot bigger than my husband and I anticipated. But it's been a blessing in disguise because we've been able to help people just like ourselves through a really traumatic time. You know, after reading your story, it was quite amazing as I talk to you now. You seem just perfect. And I can imagine uh, after you had your stroke and reading, uh, you were almost like a prisoner in your own body, what that feeling was like. So how was the process getting back your health? Terrible. Absolutely awful. And I think whenever you're looking at social media or whenever you're looking hindsight, you tend to look at the highlight reel, but there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of anxiety and fear and just uncertainty for what would be ahead because as you know, and as most people know, no two strokes or heart attacks are ever the same. So whenever you're experiencing something, even though millions of people have experienced it all over the world, it feels kind of lonely because you never know what your next step is gonna be or what your end outcome is gonna be. So it was really a struggle for my husband and I to kind of keep up positive expectations and mindsets. But I think that was one of the most important parts because every day was really trying. Well, what do you think were the the major factors uh, that played a role in, in having the stroke? So for me, it was actually stress. So I actually suffered a massive stroke at the age of 30 due to stress. And I was an advocate and a community volunteer and also a social worker. So we all know with social work that it comes a lot of stress because we're working with families and people that are in dire situations and need desperate help. And Social work, just like healthcare, doesn't have business hours. So, you know, if you have a, um, a removal that of a child from a family's home that you need to do at 3 a.m. and back at court at 8 a.m. to address that situation, the stress levels that just come with that rewarding field, it kind of pushed me over the edge on my health because I wasn't taking care of myself properly. Take care of yourself is your message, right? Absolutely. I think... A lot of times in life, especially women, no offense, Ron, but especially women, they tend to put everyone else above themselves. You know, as the wife of a women's soccer coach, you know as well as I do that coaching is all encompassing. Mm -hmm. It has long hours. It has lots of feelings. And there's lots of different aspects to it that make it a very busy, all encompassing field. So taking care of myself, my husband, my husband's team, my children 
children, for social work. It was just a lot. And I was not sleeping enough. I was not eating well enough. I was not exercising my body enough. And I was not taking enough time to really relax and be mindful and get those stress levels down. It's interesting you say that because after uh, we're now in our second season of True to Your Heart podcast and, and covering, you know, heart challenges and take care of your heart and all the things that are, need to be done. What you've just is been echoing what we've been hearing all year long. People need to take care of their own health. That's why these podcasts are so important with people like you that have lived through these traumatic times. So uh, your advice is very, very important. What was the uh, recovery experience like after you had your stroke? So after I had my stroke, I was trapped inside of my own body for a couple weeks. So I was able to kind of move my eyes and hear everything around me, but I wasn't able to communicate at all. And so being trapped inside of your own body and watching the world kind of happen around you was a really surreal experience. And, you know, they doubted what my end outcome would be, that I may be in a vegetative state for the rest of my life. And I just kind of made the decision in my own little mind that that was not going to be the case. And I was going to fight to get my life back to some sort of normal, whatever that even means anymore. I was going to learn how to do everything again. So day by day, little by little, I was able to move my fingertips a little bit and I finally was able to move my hands a little bit. And then I moved into maybe making baby sounds, which sounds ridiculous, but I was so happy because whenever you can't do anything and you can finally do a little something, you celebrate those little wins. So Speech occupational physical therapy in my ICU bed where I lived for a long time. And then after I was released from the hospital, my husband still had to bathe me. He still had to take me to places, all my doctor's appointments, all my therapies, because obviously I couldn't read or write at all or speak for it that matter. So I really became an infant when I became home or when I came home rather. And I don't think he signed up for that a year after a wedding. I just wanted to see how serious he was with sickness and health. I decided to try that out. And he stuck around. Yeah, you sure did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's a testament to what we've been through and have we grown together in the first year of a marriage. But he took me to speech occupational physical therapy, and I was there five days a week for hours every single day. And from then, about a year and a half later, I was able to kind of speak and formulate sentences and hold a pencil again, brush my teeth on my own, etc. How long of a time since the stroke that you really felt back to normal on this, Jerry? That's a good question. I don't think I'm ever going to feel back to normal. I still have so many deficits that I face every single day. Um, a lot of my disabilities are invisible, such as my, as my sensory processing disorder, my aphasia, which is, makes it very hard to remember words, my um, dysarthria, which makes it hard to speak properly. I have to really speak with intention every single day. But in the grand scheme of things, from where I could have been <laughs> to where I was assumed to be at the beginning. No question. Life is good. And if this is my new baseline, then I'm blessed and happy to live it out like this. What are you doing to prevent a secondary event or, or what can other people that have had a stroke try to prevent a secondary event? So I'm finally listening to my body. 
for once. I actually had a headache for about five days before my stroke. And that was actually the stroke building in my brain and carotid artery. And now if I'm experiencing anything, I ensure that I get that checked up on. I make sure that I advocate for my health. One thing that is incredibly important because despite it being Stroke Awareness Month, it is also Mental Health Awareness Month, as we all know. And I had to go on anxiety medication for my PTSD post-stroke. And I think that's very important for people to hear because they may see the crown and sash and think life is perfect. And I think it's very important for me to tell people that I'm very normal. I experience things just like everyone else does. And with knowing that medication is okay, and if you're dealing with a situation in which you need medication, make sure that you take care of that because there's no shame in in having to utilize that method. Now, taking a step back uh, to your work now with Stroke of Luck, what are the main ways that you promote and spread stroke awareness? So I have a kind of three-tier method that I use. I have an awareness campaign, which I speak in girls and boys clubs, girls inks, and also grocery stores and schools all over the nation and world. I also do my advocacy work, which is my second part of the tier, which is the um, work that I do to pass stroke legislation all over the world. Because even though people know what stroke is, the fascinating part is that people do not have stroke protocol in place. So whenever someone does have a stroke in a nation or a state, it's not always notified what hospital to go to to best suit their needs to get the life-saving procedures that they need. So advocacy is the large part of it. And then the third tier is my husband and I have created something called stroke support boxes. And those support boxes are packed with information that we send to stroke survivors, whether in the hospital or outside of the hospital, that has all the information and items that we wish we would have had during that time. And also portrays more information to be able to identify what a stroke is and make sure that you educate someone. So that's kind of stroke of luck in a nutshell. As I look at you, you're young, you're, I mean, you got great attitude. And I think most people would think of a stroke would affect elderly people. So what advice would, would you give to people to make them aware of potential stroke for the younger generation? Well, stroke can actually happen in a mother's womb. So a baby can actually have a stroke in womb. So there is no age, sex, race, socioeconomic status that is as an impact. There are more prominent and prevalent cases in certain genres of those categories, but for the most part, it can impact anyone at any age. I think the most important part that you can remember is not only to take care of yourself, but also be able to identify the signs and symptoms of a stroke. Because whenever someone is having a stroke, you have around 2 million neurons per second dying in your brain when you're having a stroke. That's a lot. That's a lot of brain damage. So getting to the hospital at an adequate amount of time and making sure that you either get the clot-busting drug called TPA or you either get into a thrombectomy, which is a non-invasive catheter-based procedure that actually pulls clots out of your brain. So time is brain when it comes to stroke and just making sure that you know where your hospitals are and you know the signs and symptoms of a stroke as well. What are some some healthy habits that everyone can practice to 
prevent the occurrence of a stroke? Is, is there something you recommend to people? Yeah. So just like heart, when you're watching your high um, blood pressure and high cholesterol levels, when you're ensuring that you're eating a healthy diet, when you're ensuring that you're getting at least 30 minutes of exercise three or four times a week to keep that blood flowing, but also make sure that, you know, if you're having any symptoms such as warmness and tenderness in an arm or a neck or a leg, that kind of thing, that you're getting that checked out. But really, it's just about overall health. I, I think people kind of dramatize what health is, and it's actually super simple. When you're monitoring your, your full body health and just making sure that you're living a healthy and active lifestyle, you can combat almost any disease, especially stroke at heart. Jerry, you also work as a uh, hospital donation specialist, actually at the hospital that took care of you. So in, in, in your role, how have you been able to help others like yourself? I work with stroke patients and their families every single day. And what's surreal about it is that in the same hospital bed that I lived in, I watched stroke patients be in that bed almost every single day. So what's important is that after you've had a stroke, really reassuring the family and empowering that family and giving them the tools and the support that they need because I think the caregivers are often overlooked in this situation and the focus is on the survivor. But I would argue that the caregivers have a harder time because there's nothing they can do. They feel so helpless and they're really readjusting to a new life that they never asked for. They didn't know that was coming. So my role in support now is to support hospital staff and professionals and then to support families as well to make sure that they have all the help that they need to be as successful as possible for recovery. Jerry, I, I can't thank you enough for joining us here on True to Your Heart. Uh, you are an amazing example of what that fortitude, that intestinal fortitude that you need to overcome a stroke and be healthy and, and go beyond that and give back to your own community. You are a very special person. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me, Ron. I appreciate your time. Good luck. Thanks again to Dr. Mark Alberts and Jerry Ward for joining us on the show today for Stroke Awareness Month 2022. For more information on how you can be true to your heart, visit www.truetoyourheart.com. I'm Ron Jaworski, and this has been True to Your Heart, presented by Amarin. Mm-hmm.